mum squatting, pissed in a tube hole at Tottenham Court Road. I'd just come out of the ship talking to the most blonde I ever met, shouting, Lager, 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 Lager. Shouting, Lager, 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 Lager. We are Hottest 100s and Thousands, and we have taken control of your radio station. This is the podcast in which we talk about the songs that have been deemed hot enough to be in the Triple J Hottest 100. My name is David James Young. I'm one of the four voices you're going to be hearing for the next hour or so. Joining me once again, Andrew McDonald. Good afternoon. Adam Buncher. Lager. Nathan Harrison. Lager. Oh, yeah. I drink <laughs> a whiskey drink. Of- <laughs> I drink a vodka drink. Oh, that's that's not- the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> I have chosen life, people. I have chosen a big fucking car and a uh, fucking plasma television or what were the updated ones? Choose Instagram or some shit. Some modern shit. Was that any good? It's really fucking good. It's 2017. When are they going to start letting films into the hottest 100? (laughs) (laughs) Shaking my damn head at this screwed up world. Oh, God, man. So backward. Oh, my God. Shout out to Aaron Chen. That was his (laughs) joke. His his joke on Twitter? Yeah. It was a very good joke. What a beautiful man. We retweeted it. Check it out on our own Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Where we take credit for other people's amazing tweets. As everyone does on everyone's Twitter. You still got that Dago from last week? I do. Wait, <laughs> save it. It is going to come in handy uh, very, very soon. Uh, but before we tell you that story, we've got to tell you another story about Regurgitator. Dropping it on us right now at number 15, it's Kong Fu Sang. Hottest 100 with Kong Fu Sing from the album Two Plang. Hell yeah, baby! Oh my god, if, if we retire by me party after this, we should definitely change it to dead end, dead end. Very true. Pretty on board with that. Yeah, I, I'm okay with that. I think that's a pretty good idea. But you are kind of correct in just saying, like, hell yeah, because nobody is disliking this. Yeah, oh my god, it just it no. just rips. I love everything about this. I love the churning Ben Eli bass. I love Kwan Man's just discordant, like shreddy, weird guitar playing that is just at times completely fucking atonal. It's that classic hating the guitar and wanting to make it sound like anything else kind of thing. <laughs> One thing I want to talk about um, is a guy that was in the back pocket of Regurgitator for its founding years, a guy called Martin Lee, who was the original drummer of Regurgitator. Martin had a fucking swing, man. Like, you listen to, like, the rhythms on this and the way he nails those off-snare hits and just lays down that really solid groove between the bass drum and the snare while, like, keeping time on the hi-hat. Like, it fits the song so well and it really drives home the hip-hop influence. Like, I I think it's a really, really fucking solid beat and it really helps to influence the song and, like, literally drives the whole thing. I don't know, it's weird to kind of like overthink a song that is as big and loud and dumb as the Kung Fu Sing, It's the King. But like, there's some cool shit going on here. Like the random turntable solo was fucking lit. And then just the random bits of, um, like you can just imagine them just going ham on the fucking sampler at the end. That, that, that speaks to the Gurge though, right? Oh yeah, like yeah, the, yeah, that, that, yeah. That, it speaks to the Gurge that they're able to do all of that. At the same time, I think in a very fun, silly song about fortune cookies. Exactly, yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. The thing about this song is you can talk about it in two halves. It's a song of two halves, right? You can talk oh, about so the you've song. So you cracked it open. Well, hey, hey. hey. Huh? why? Nice. No, no you can talk about why it rocks. 
right? And it's because it does. Like what <laughs> I, what I love about the, the the way it sounds is that we talked uh, last time we talked about Regurgitator about the fact that they just picked a random kind of whatever hole in the wall recording studio in Thailand, and they said yeah, it was like there were open sewers outside, and there were chickens constantly wandering <laughs> into the, mm. like you can hear. You can well, for me when I listen to it, I can almost imagine like he kicking away chickens at the same time as trying to get through the the lines of the song, like shooing them away in the studio while it's recording. Like it's got that kind of very real raw garagey vibe, yeah. uh, and they, all the things you said, like it rocks. And then it's just weird because it's like, why are you so mad about fortune cookies? Like why are you so aggressive and menacing about them? It's like they're rage against the machine level almost <laughs> like, yeah. you know what I mean it's balls on parade it's, quit him open yeah just quit him open crack, crack one open okay it's the king alright I will jeez yeah, yeah. Like, we, we, every time we've spoken about regurgitator so far we've talked about their like kind of genre defying ways but we've only ever had pretty straightforward regurgitator songs and it's really great that in yeah, the top yeah. 20 we get like they get to show off the fact that they are not a band that can be easily classified. Yeah. And it's, this is so much fun. Like This is obviously, like, one of everyone's favorite regurgitated songs because it's just so... It's everything they do perfectly. It's heavy. It's well-constructed musically. It's about this silly... Just about fortune cookies. Yeah. And then, like, like bit of trivia about this song that was inspired by Quan courting uh, his future partner, Janet, from Spiderbait with box mm. of... Kung Fu Sing Fortune Cookies. No kidding. Is yeah, that and that's what's the, going on? And that's delightful. Yeah. That um, is super yeah. delightful. Yeah. That, Why that is he so mad yeah, about yeah, it? Yeah, the relationship is also touched on in the song uh, Miffy's Simplicity. Yeah. Uh, which uh, he he directly references uh, Hot Water and Milk, which is uh, a spider bait song. Oh. Yeah, it's a very that's cute. That's gorgeous. Yeah. You could joke about this song because it's so silly, but it, the fact that this song sounds like it could beat you to death. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. It's so it, it's it. heaps mean. Like it's a tough as nail sounding song. But really dancey. Like <laughs> yeah, they're just impossibly like dancey in there and, at the same time. It's they're pulling in all these things that like there's no link. You can't you can't kind of do the, <laughs> the do the it's all connected yeah. with this. Like the the lines don't ma- match up at all. Yeah. And yet they're all here. The gang's here. The gang's all <laughs> the here. The gang's all here. Yeah. And it's just like it's like what you were talking about last week with Firestarter. Like you uh-huh. just, as the listener, you just become the character of <laughs> of these vocals. Like you were this weird, tough kung fu fortune cookie song. Like it's salesman. Just, yeah, you just you just embody this <laughs> incredible is. thing. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, it's You're just terrific. Right. It's the gurge. It's just, it's the, just gurge. the gurge. It's the king. It's the king. Mm. Exactly. At number 14, it is the only song in the history of the Triple J Hottest 100 to feature a writing credit from one Quentin Tarantino. It's Scooby Snacks by the Fun Loving Criminals. Everybody, you call it the robbery! Hardest 100 with Scooby Snacks. Nathan, you're a drug lord. Yeah, I, I knew that was. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay, good. Yeah, good. Cannon, okay. cannon, cannon, cannon. For seasons now. That's, yeah. 
Well, well we, did, being a we did have salvation before, so let's yeah. not. Yeah. Okay, look. Okay, there's no. I there's have no weird. I've listened to that there's... song over a dozen times. <laughs> Just want you guys to. The scrumbles are adding up. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> we need to write a salvation song about you listening to salvation too yeah. much. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually on board. That yeah. <laughs> okay. So Scooby Snacks by Fun Loving Criminals. Um, I, I, I don't know how I'm trying to like vibe out what everyone's feeling mm. about this song is, but without having much information, I'm putting the old Grinch pants on. <laughs> I don't like this song at all. Uh, I think tell this- us more. I think this I is just shocked. Yeah, I know. Good. Well, yeah, yeah. Who knows? This is just like. Shitty white rap rock trading on as me- like the the Reservoir Dogs and Pop Fiction samples are just I don't give a shit that you've seen those movies like we've all seen the movies just because you put a sample of something cool in your song doesn't make it cool they're trying so hard to trade up by bringing in all these other things the chorus hook is fine it's catchy I think it's pretty lazy I don't want to give it like a lot of credit but certainly the verses. It's just shit. I just really don't like it. And I just, I hate the idea that it's presenting itself as this cool song because it's drawing on all these things. I don't like this song. And the thought of other people liking it makes you mad. It doesn't make me mad. I'm just like, come on. Well, get ready to come on, Nathan, because <laughs> yeah. I think it's a pretty good song. <laughs> come on. <laughs> Mental to me that this is like a 20 year, like over 20 years old now. I, I, I thought that this song in my head was like from like 2005 or something. Yeah, I right. Like maybe I heard the band name or something or heard the song at some point around Tarantino's there. Tarantino's had but, um, They certainly didn't have any other hits. No, like this is yeah, yet this another one-hit wonder. Yeah. They, could, um, they could do another one where they do like Inglorious Bastards and <laughs> Hateful Eight. Django, oh, Django yeah. Unchained. Like, you joke, but literally that's like that's all the... Con- like there's nothing of substance that they're bringing yeah. to music as artists. Like, And if they were going to have another hit, it would, it would be, be cashing in Unchained. on the idea that fun-loving criminals are the the artists who sample Tarantino movies in their shitty rap rock tracks. So I, I, I think that I don't reckon they'd use Tarantino now. I reckon it would be like a, a Christopher Nolan sample. Oh god, like, yeah, oh, yeah. The trigger. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I cut these scars. All the criticisms you have, I get it. Like the pop fiction samples are like, I, I, maybe in '96 after the movie came out, it had just come out. It wasn't so obvious to be like because now if you're like particularly like, and it is white dudes who do this like yeah. wh- white dudes who talk about their love of Quentin Tarantino are insufferable fucks even though like you're like yes he's a good director he makes very good movies I enjoy them as well most of them are really good that's but, it but there's like, no there's no like reward in knowing about Quentin Tarantino because of course you know like most people who like films enjoy Quentin Tarantino films because they're pretty good movies yeah, like you know what I mean it's, and it's not like so it's like what are you saying yeah. like you know heaps about Quentin Tarantino this heaps popular well renowned director like okay also, well I done. don't know if this makes a difference in the whole you know it being a very wide guy thing but the guy from Fun Loving Criminals is Puerto Rican I don't know if that uh, if it just makes him really well white. He's, he's culturally appropriating <laughs> yeah. bad white music <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah but like the, obviously the idea of appropriate of using like Tarantino samples now a 2017 song mm. to, to sample like Jules Winfield's uh, Ezekiel 2517 speech would be the path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men and Ooh, don't uh, do it unless you're the f- <laughs> unless you're don't like on this ultra beautiful level of irony that I, I could only aspire to like <laughs> it's insane to do that for, my, are, for like, my next single I'm actually planning to sample the scene in The Revenant where Leo DiCaprio gets fucked up by the bear <laughs> <laughs> and just Good. yeah see how that goes yeah nice <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure if in 96, it was so obviously yeah. gauche, but either, either way, it is what it is. Honestly, like, I think this kind of works. The, the chorus is hooky enough, but, like, n- none of them are singing perfectly in time. It just kind of is some guys singing, like, I think it has a nice amateurish feel to it. And the verses, like, I don't love them, but they get the job. They, they carry me through enough to enjoy the shimmering guitar and, like, big beat of the chorus. And I think this is a good example of that kind of rap rock. It's odd that we had this back to back with Kung Fu. Yeah. Um, but like, there's only so the many rap rock episode. Mm, there's only, <laughs> only so many things you can do with rap rock before you turn into the crappier parts of new metal. And like, the it's fact gotta that be a, you either or live yeah, long enough to, you have long, you either die rage against the machine or live long enough to see yourself become limp biscuit. Yeah. yeah. It's just one of those days where you don't want to wake up. 
maybe it's a nostalgic thing. I think I have a memory of this song being a cool thing. Like, but honestly, I think this works. I think this, this is pretty fun rap rock. I'm sorry, Nathan. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. It's okay. I the song's this. not, but <laughs> your opinion is. I'm gonna Something sit. bad in for me. Come on. I'm going to sit directly in the middle here. I, enjoy, I enjoyed that back and forth. I enjoyed that difference of opinion. I enjoyed it equal to, if not more, than the song. <laughs> so, David, help me out so here. It's all fine. No, David. Uh, no, I, I me. Help I, me. Fuck. I don't have the energy to hate this song. I've got too much shit going on. Damn it. I'm, I'm busy and important. Like, this is just, it's dumb. It's fine. Like, it's got a fucking groove. I like the bass. I like the chorus, you know? Like, I don't give a shit. Who cares? Everybody sucks! It is kind of weird to think how close the movies were, like, when when they came out. Oh, to, yeah, to that, that was like a fucking cultural zeitgeist, Yeah, because to now it's now it's kind of like they're too established, you wouldn't sample them, and it's weird. Yeah, but, yeah, like, yeah. for then, I think it's like, it's almost, wow, man, like, yeah, did that come I, out? I, I think, uh, yeah. It came out I'm, really yeah. close. Yeah, so th- there's a context oh, what, to it. Pop was 94? Yeah, it's 94, 96. yeah. And Reservoir Dogs is... 92. 92, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, after okay, a so years. it's a couple of years. <laughs> and it's a weird one to include, because, like, they had to include Tarantino as a writing, as a, as a writing Yeah, I kind of like that they did that, like, because they're definitely trading on an aesthetic, and I think the, that that aesthetic is probably the most, even though we, we state that it's kind of weird, like, it's probably the most charming thing that the song kind of has going for it, you know, because, like, for, for all you say about, obviously, Tarantino's cool, he's he's cool. Like, the, the Reservoir Dogs Pulp Fiction thing, like, but it is, like it's well-traded now, but it's still kind of cool. Like, I can still see how it's fun to lean into that, and, you know, like, if you do that in song form here, I can see why it was popular, and I can see why people kind of got down on that. But whatever, you know. <laughs> like, you know, whatever. At number 13, it is a song definitive of a generation. I fucking, I'm very excited to be talking about this one. This is Smashing Pumpkins. This is Pumpkins at number 13 in the 1996 Hottest 100. That is 1979. Adam Boncher. Mm. Oh man, like. Yeah, dude, and we did. It, for me, this is like one of the definitive Smashing Pumpkins songs, like top five, easily. Yeah. Look, I, I, I kind of surprised myself because, like, I. What I started going to the Pumpkins for more recently has been kind of like their heavier, bigger, more anthemic stuff, you know, the kind of Siamese yeah. dreams. And I always kind of went, oh, yeah, 1979. I've heard enough of that. It's the radio single. I've, I've heard as much of that song as I kind of need. Yeah. Until, like, it came to prepping for this episode, and I was just kind of like, oh, you know, like, you, you kind of take your. It takes your breath away. Oh, my God. In a yeah. while. It's just like, no, this is actually truly special and truly beautiful as a song so i think whenever it's uh, you're talking about a smashing pumpkin song i think it's really important to check the context of where billy corgan was at at the time because mm. you can say what you want about the dude recently but, bold uh <laughs> well you know we talked about the the change of persona that came along in zero and that was kind of more to do with you know being performative and what he felt the band stood for at that time mm. and, and making a statement about himself in relation to the smashing pumpkins you know uh, no longer wearing the superman shirt wearing the Zero shirt, yeah. um, shaving his head, declaring himself to be the bottom, he's saying, I'm not wearing the saviour. smashing Don't. silver pants, if I, if mm-hmm. I do say so A little myself. bit of that as well. But before that even kind of happened in terms of like the performative side of the songs, we came to the period between Siamese Dream 
and Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, which was just a feverish period for Billy Corgan writing songs. Mm. I mean, already we were, we were looking at a double album, so the amount of songs that actually made it through were quite numerous. But the number I believe that's thrown around is that Billy Corgan wrote 56 songs, and this was the 56th, mm. and he kind of didn't really get to finish it. And he kind of showed it to... um kind of showed it to Flood, who was producing the album, and he was just kind of like, ah, I don't know, man, I, I don't really think this is good enough, and I don't think we should put it on the record. But Corgan was like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, this this actually, I, I have come across this just recently, but this is really important. Let me prove it to you. And he, he, went, he went away and in the space of four hours just worked as hard as he possibly could to get this thing finished and get it to a point where he was ready. And when he brought it back to Flood, he was like, oh, yeah, okay, there's, there's absolutely no way this can't go on on the record now. Right. So it's kind of like this... I was going to say, that's a rare misstep from Flood to not recognise this as a no. really good song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, I just, kind of, I just kind of love that, that Billy, at the end of this huge, exhausting period of songwriting, stumbled upon just the smallest hint of this song. And that he just like, no, this is it. Like, you know, mm. who knows if, if the 54th, 51st, whatever other songs, you know, if they were the ones that got on the album or whatever, but the 56th, the last thing that he did before he absolutely put pens down was this song. He had to get this song out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, which I think is just truly beautiful, especially when you look at what the song is kind of about, which is a beautiful reflection back both personally, but also I think really generally, because you can connect into this really well. Like Nathan, you talk about, you know, breadth. In songwriting, and I think like Corgan didn't write this broadly. I think he wrote this very specifically. But the breadth that it has in terms of people connecting to it, the quote from Pitchfork is: "You listen to the riff, and what it asks you is, do you know this feeling?" And the response, the only possible response you can have is, "Yeah, I, I, I do. Tell me more." That captures it really, really perfectly. It conjures the idea of nostalgia and being distanced from a period in time, one that maybe at the time that you were there was very turbulent and very emotional and maybe even dark but through time you've learned to recognize that as being beautiful and that's that's that to me is clearly what the song kind of communicates in its feeling and in its lyrics and in that it, people kind of call it this wonderful like ode to youth and ode to the to the feelings that you kind of have um as a young person so i think that's something that everyone could kind of connect to and so it's become very very special for a hell of a lot of people and, yeah and and like the particular way that it it deals with that in like this fragile delicate and unique way, not only for the pumpkins, but, you know, like, in general. Like, there's not a lot of songs that kind of sit just so quietly and just mm. just with, with with that kind of just apparent feeling that yeah, the song kind of has. It does the tender sadness so, oh, so wonderfully. Yeah, like, it's yeah. like, like, you're spot on saying it's, I look back on youth. Obviously, that's kind of yeah. a famous, like, Corgan was 12 in 1979. He viewed that as the time when he made a transition age, between... Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's like a kind of quasi-famous bit of trivia about the song. And that, like... Like, I, I certainly don't think 12 wasn't my age where that happened, but everybody that's an adult has that <laughs> it moment. It was not your age. You had no age yes, in that yeah. since I've been there. That's I'm sure there are some people who live their entire lives and they're just like like 95% of the time they're happy and their life just feels great and that's fine. And that's obviously not who the pumpkins are appealing to. And mm. in this song, like the, the tender sadness of like nostalgia, as much as it is nostalgic and a celebration of youth, it's a celebration of like the loss of innocence and like where things are pure and innocent and yeah. then you're an adult and you think, realize things are nuanced and complex. Yeah. Because the song is just like that kind of like m- mellow minor sadness kind of thing like that, and which I love in songs. And you're right, there aren't that too many that do it. I think of a few and like his voice here is... So he has the whine in the chorus, but like the verses are so like it's it's quite different considering we've like it's not quite the meeting of middle ground between the anger of zero and the lush of tonight tonight. Mm. It's not quite that middle, but quite. like it, there is yeah. a meeting point of those two feelings here. Like and it's I a abs- Venn diagram. And I yeah. absolutely think that in terms of all of Corgan's output, and it's something that Corgan does, I think, really really well in that he writes songs because he's got, he's got a weird voice. Like he doesn't have a traditionally beautiful voice, no. mm. and yet he constructs his music to suit his voice very well mm. and i don't think there is a more perfect example of that than here like i think the 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 one little element that really gets me is that like he's kind of a little bit late sliding up to the high note mm. i it's just, it's just a mm. it kind of communicates effort in such a wonderful way um and communicates being truly in the song and felt in the song in such a wonderful way that yeah. i like for for a more perfect singer to do a more perfect job with that moment wouldn't nearly be as good so Absolutely i think not. like it's one of his best performances on tape 
Agreed. Absolutely. So you ride hard for this, don't you, Dave? Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, I have since I was a kid. The thing for me is that it is inextricably linked with the music video. I remember seeing this music video as a kid and, like, constantly seeing it year after year, rage programmer after rage programmer. The thing about it for me is it kind of drives home, you know, we, we, we always go on about, you know, YouTube comments of, like, born in the wrong generation, but, like... I have never felt that more than when I watch this video and I think of, you know, growing up in the 90s and, you know, just like this emerging vaguely pre-internet kind of universe where we'd like call each other up on our landlines, you know, and like, you know, we'd have, like, if we were lucky, we had an extension, yeah. you know, so you we, have, so we wouldn't have to, to parents. yeah, so we wouldn't have to go through parents yeah. and like, you know, running around in the fucking city and just being dickheads and you know like that was that was like a novelty because like you know there was nothing else to do in your town you know like mm. you know that's the shit you just do you'd go and like fuck with the clerks at um at a convenience store you'd go annoy people at work you'd go drive around really fast in cars you'd you'd get inside a giant tire and fucking <laughs> circle around in that i always just have this idea in my head of what it would have been like to have been you know 17 16 years old at that point i just felt like there was none of that magic when i was about to graduate high school it's just like just hanging around with people that i barely fucking tolerated and you know most of which i would never see again and very happily so but that in itself is a unique thing that with the passage of time you'll look back on and go like that'll that'll be a special thing you know what i mean like Uh, i don't know maybe you don't think so but yeah, there's this one bit in the video that I always remember where they're just sitting around, the sun's about to go down, they're, they're out, like, mountainside, like, you know, they've gone a little bit, like, a little bit bush, and, like, um, they're looking down at the city as the lights are, as the, you know, lights are coming up in the city, and, like, the sun is going down, and one of them just fucking flips it off. Just that one moment of just you know, seeing this town that has just restricted you and, you know, you know, you can't get out because, you know, you're too young to do anything like that. But, you know, all you've got is you and your friends and, you know, this, you know, the stuff that you're doing just to pass the time because you're so fucking bored. I've definitely been in situations like that, you know, not exactly like that, but, you know, where, you know, you've spent enough time in one place, you're just like, fuck off. And so when I think about 1979, it is always with this video in the back of my mind because I think this is one of the greatest music videos of all time just because it is so perfectly simplistic. I get that it is, you know, like, a highlight reel. Life wouldn't have been that exciting every fucking night, but if I could live one fucking day like the 1979 music video, I would remember that as one of the greatest days of my fucking life. It's too good for us to even be snide about. Yeah, no, that's it. if, If one of the jobs of popular music is to connect with people on an emotional level, and allow them to connect to something and share in it and, and reflect on it or whatever, this song. Yeah. It's just like, cool. You've just, like, entirely done that. Mm. Like, on every possible yeah. level. Yeah. All right, we're going to blast this out of our big fucking cars right now, people. At number 12, this is Underworld with Born Slippy.
Underworld at number 12 in the 1996 Hottest 100. That track is called Born Slippy. Now, Andrew, appears you have something to say. <laughs> do you? I do. This song is achingly perfect. Absolute rock, rock and roll in feeling, but just in pure 90s techno form. Mm. I, I, it takes, I think, like the energy and the sloppiness of that rock and roll excels at so well and just like puts that in like a context of like beats and artifice like i'd say most people discovered it via train spotting where it was voiced mm. as a single because it was originally it was a, a b-side to a completely unrelated song called born slippy without the nux uh, yeah. at the end it was a b-side to that and it was a like a nine minute jam version and then it was released as a single after it was featured in train spotting where it, 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 in an like the very, very end of the movie is the point where it is dropped. And that's a hugely feelsy part of the movie, like where he's abandoning his friends and stuff. And it's not a spoiler because it's over 20 years old, so just grow up. Um, <laughs> and like where he's abandoning his friends and his previous lifestyle to try and be a better man. Mm. And it's just this, like the song exemplifies like a huge, like the synthy keyboard tones, like with drenched in reverb at the start there, where they're just like those chords that go back and forth for a like better part of a minute or so leading into before he starts yelling off and mouthing off in the, that what seems to be like the English techno idea of the nineties. Um, but done really incredibly well here. Apparently that like bo- the, the lyrics meaning both nothing and also re- re- recalling the, uh, main composer of Underworld alcoholism at the time, like the internal monologue of an alcoholic, oh like God, ranting so and raving, yeah. anything like that. That's so perfect. I know, yeah. And it just oh. like those bits with the synthy keyboard bits and the initial ranting of like the, like the alcoholic noise person in yeah. your head are like... Boy, boy. Boy, boy. <laughs> boy, yeah. boy. Not like oh, that, the repeated boy, man. Yeah. It just hits me so hard in the heart. Same, and then, dude. But then, after, but then when that drops away and it's just like this like almost Neubauten-esque metal drum beat. There's like, <laughs> yeah. dung, 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 dung. like, it's just, this uh, th- This song has its hook in my heart. It's rare that I could describe like an absolute house banger as a beautiful work, but right? it, this is this is absolutely beautiful to me. I, yeah. yeah, it's such an ideal like 90s techno song. Like, yeah. I, I don't know how much more it could improve like outside of incorporating external influences like, Prodigy and also Chemical Brothers did at the time. Like this mm. is far more straight down the road techno music, and that's what the Underworld have continued to do: make straight down the road techno music, and they yeah. just nail the form of it so perfectly. It's like, yeah, I don't know. It, there's something about it. Like it, it's, it's almost beyond my classification as to why it's so beautiful. But it just, I just like, for me as well, just like there's this insane emotional structure to how it plays out. You have this this period yep. at, the, at the start where it's this kind of like half-distant, half-interior voice with this constant repetition of boy and all these, you know, complete overload of phrases being thrown at you. And, like, it really gets you after a while. Like, it really... It's, it's relentless. It's, it's like, relentless. Yeah, yeah. And it, it feels filmic and, and not just because of the transporting attachment, but it really, like, you really end up placing yourself in that. And then those beats kick in and all of a sudden, like, this this huge sort of emotional weight that the song's been building up around you, it just charges in a direction and mm. it just feels like it propels you forward you can almost imagine yourself like being in a really bad spot and then just deciding you know fuck it i'm gonna throw myself into a crowd of people in the dark and i'm going to move yeah and i'm not really gonna give a shit like Mm. that's what the song is and like that is so many nights out this this i think communicates musically so much about what it is to engage with the scene that this music was around Again, like I said, was talking about Prodigy. Like it's all there. If you lean into it, you you you've got that that persona there. This is this is a persona here, and it's also a story. Like if you've and you know what, if you've been drunk and upset at the end of a night where things really didn't go the way you wanted, you know what that story is. Um, and it's like that voice, that repeated boy. It's like it's it's almost like you can imagine it being yourself trying to amp yourself up when realistically you're already way too far fucking gone. Yeah, well, I hear um, things aren't also- coming back. Like it's scolding, like mm, yeah. boy, boy, like yeah. like in the same way that a power figure would talk down to somebody. Hundred percent could be that as well, or it could just and be like even your like friend just trying to self chastising, like you know, you know, you like you fucked up again, boy. Like yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, lager, lager, lager. <laughs> like uh, yeah. th- that bit was inspired by Bill Bailey, which is really nice because uh, they they met. I think he didn't know what? who Bill Bailey was until afterwards or something, but he gave him like five pounds for a, for a lager, huh. just because yeah. I don't know the whole story, but yeah, that's right. more or less the story. That would be early in Bailey's career. Yeah, 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 right? exactly. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> when I read it, I was like, is, is there another Bill Bailey? Because like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like that, yeah, yeah. So, that, but that's cool. Oh, huh, nice. 
But it's also, I, I feel like there's such a connection to like other people and community that is communicated in this song as well. Like the idea of hmm. thinking you're with other people and really you're not. You know what I mean? Like the, I, I, I can't, uh, mm. it's one of those things that I get an impression of emotionally that it's kind of hard to translate. And I think that's so often what it is in, you know, like in the kind of clubs as well. Like you're, you're, you're by yourself, you're surrounded by people, but you're by yourself. Like, and if you've, if you've been out on a night out with people, you start with them and then you may end up mm. isolated. And I think th- that kind of, that kind of together alone thing is, I think, so important to this. Like, and, and also like just this, just an acknowledgement, like almost of ex- existential, kind of pain because I think Huge. so so often that that kind of like hedonism is a response to that and I think that this song highlights that quite well in the terms of what it what it brings across you know mm. does that make sense yeah no absolutely like, I think as well like because when, when you say like you know the drums kick in like you dive into the crowd like yeah. for me that's I, I don't get dive into the crowd you I get leave, I get run home, like and just yeah. like keep running yeah but cool. I think I think it's kind of saying the same thing. Like it both those actions is. are the same action. Yeah, they're mm. they're two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Like it's and it and it, you, it turns on a dime. Like yeah. you, it could go one way or the other in that moment. Yeah, yeah. But it, amazing <laughs> that it can bang that hard and have that emotional resonance. Because like, I can't it, like, think of many songs that do that. Yeah, removed from an emotional connection that I have with the song. Once the beat kicks in, it is just bang city. Mm. Oh, hundred like, percent yeah, is. It is just, beat down and it's exactly what i want from that kind of minimalist techno as well like just like just give me a beat make it relentless give me some you know like strobe (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorted some day glow (laughs) some day yeah i I, I just want this like i really i get mad cravings for this kind of techno there's nothing like it Mm. do you you not satisfies yeah dave you at the same club as us (laughs) i i don't know oh okay i i I don't get it. Hmm. Do you like the song though? Like I, apart yeah, from the emotional. Yeah, like I, I've always thought the song was alright, but like huh. I've never read even an eighth of as much into it as any of you guys. Yeah, have. right. Like ever, I never thought of it as anything more than just this, you know, kind of sign of the times, big loud club raver song that you know was like inextricably linked to a time and place i don't know like i i never got any kind of like feels or like emotional kind of thing out of it mostly just because you know i i just remember it as being this bloke shouting through a megaphone (laughs) song it might have something to do with you know the fact that that i haven't seen train spotting in ages or maybe the fact that i'm uh what is known as a teetotaler or straight edge (laughs) depending on uh, what scenes you run in and the fact that I've never really kind of had any association with dance culture, club mm. culture, drug culture, alcohol culture, anything like that means that this probably doesn't have the same impact on me. And I I yeah, find it difficult for me to kind of put myself in a position where I can kind of comprehend that. You've had too many good nights out as well. <laughs> <laughs> like no, this because this is like this is not a great night out. Like this is a this is a night out where you you're, you're left to think mm. about some stuff. I think. Yeah. Like, and you know I think it's entirely valid what you say like mm. about because I think drugs and alcohol are built into this song. They're built because because the song's built into the scene. Like I, I don't know. I, I, I know you guys were gonna have a big fucking love in on this one, and that's obviously completely fucking awesome. Do you like it though for what it is for you? Uh, like yeah, I don't know. Like I don't know. They're not really a a, a band that I've investigated into much. Yeah, neither um, have I. I haven't. No. Yeah. No, I got I got mad love for this song though. Like they're one of those acts that is just you know very very iconic, and you know like. They, they they feel like a band that you had to be there for, you know. Like, I, my my friend Saz, uh, like she's in her forties. She's from like the UK originally, lives over here now. I met her the night I met Paul Mack uh, to to tie it in. Nice. Um, so yeah, like she's like an old rave queen from back in the day. She's a fabulous, fabulous lady. But yeah, like. One time, yeah, like, I think she was, like, scouring for, like, Stone Roses tickets. I'm like, fuck, I hate the Stone Roses. And she just stares at me. She's like, you were not there. You were not there. <laughs> I'm just like, you know what? You're completely right. I fucking hate the Stone Roses. And maybe it's because I wasn't there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't fucking hate Underworld. But maybe the reason I don't get Underworld is because I wasn't there. Maybe it's because I didn't choose life. Where, yeah, wherever there happens to be. Yeah. Right? 
in terms of the space that it yeah, occupies. Yeah, like either either a literal place or a, or a mental place. Like I, I've been thinking about it, like why I have no empathy or relation to this song, yet. You know, I am able to get that with 1979, which is obviously relating to a time and a place where I was like, you know, like starting primary school when it <laughs> fucking came out. You because know? Like, because music music communicates things so much more than the sum of its parts and mm. in in really surprising and deep ways, basically, mm. which is why we're able to talk <laughs> at length about songs in the way we do every week because so rate review and subscribe <laughs> yeah. and- <laughs> it is time to investigate 11 coming in at number 11 in the 1996 Hottest 100 with a song called Down. It is time to investigate 311 at long, long last. A band that has kind of had an interesting return and rise in internet culture of recent, thanks to 1E Andre and his show, uh, and also thanks to a certain Facebook page by the name of Millions of Dead Poses, <laughs> uh, which was for a time renamed to Millions of 311 fans. <laughs> <laughs> These were like a, like a bro-y, like dude, like the, essentially a butt rock band uh, from the 90s. <laughs> Total bro dude, like... Like board shorts, goatee, tribal tat kind of ba- barbed wire tat kind of band, you know. Yeah, we talked about wallet chains a lot. Yeah, yeah, this is wallet a this chains. is a wallet chain band. <laughs> they are chained to wallet chains. These guys, <laughs> yeah. and yep. yeah. Uh, as a perpetrator of all things butt rock, can I just say this song fucking slaps? <laughs> it is real fucking sick. The funk in the drums is really sick. I love the guitar tone. I, the chorus is super, super catchy. Obviously, it is big and dumb and obnoxious. But in this case, uh, I I am all for it. And, you know, I, I am 950% aware that I have lost any and all forms of credibility <laughs> through this fucking show because it's like, oh, I don't really get Underworld. Fucking 311 on the other hand. <laughs> fucking quality. They get me. Yeah, they get me, man. Well, it's because I'm a fucking idiot, you know? I think big part of this podcast has been me becoming more and more okay with that. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm not into a whole fuck of highbrow shit. I am loud and I am dumb. I swear more than every other person in this room combined. I actually have a good bridging point here when you said loud, dumb, and swearing. This also reminded me of the anal cunt song 311 sucks. That's amazing. That's so good. Fuck, I that love was, anal cunt. Man, you fed that fucking transition to me. Oh. Yeah. It um is uh, like a like all Anal Khan songs, like a 45-second song. It's obviously a 311 sound parody. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, this this podcast has really helped me kind of become comfortable with the fact that I am very dumb and very loud. And You're saying dumb here like it's a value judgment. Like someone who's dumber than... Like I'm doing a PhD. Someone who's dumber than me, who, yeah. f- who fixes cars, is way smarter at cars than me, who doesn't know how to fucking drive. Like, yeah, but I'm dumber at everything. Like yeah, David, the please, like, I will... I, will not stand here and have you be slandered on the record <laughs> by an anonymous source. <laughs> Fake news. Uh, <laughs> Fake news. Propaganda. Sad. Great news and propaganda. Yeah. Um, but this song isn't good. <laughs> <laughs> See? <laughs> See? 
<laughs> I knew this would happen. No, no. I'm, f- I'm fucking throwing this song to the walls. You guys can have it. Investigate 311. 311 oh. was perpetrated by people within our own government. By Bush. <laughs> what? Oh! Why, why is this episode the rap rock episode? Like, I mean, I like Regurgitator as much as anyone else, but there's a lot of rap rock. Like, mm. all of a sudden, everyone was like... Three out of five, baby. Yeah, but, like, the countdown hasn't... You know, this hasn't been a 1996 thing. Everyone was like, yeah. let's get all the rap rock in the top 15. Yeah. Like, that's that's what we want this countdown to be. But, like, to me, this takes the... Like, because I'm obviously the biggest person to shoot on Rage Against the Machine here, and I think this is, like, the bad parts of Rage Against the Machine. And then they take the politics and otherwise it with goatees. <laughs> I don't have anything to add to that. <laughs> that was so charming. I'm not going to ever take offence at you nearing <laughs> on sledging at Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> <laughs> you got nothing in that, right? Ah, uh, yeah. It's... What am I going to add? I've said, I said, literally all I wrote was wallet chains. (laughs) (laughs) Wallet chains. No, actually, no, no, no. That's that's not true. (laughs) Wallet chains. Three (laughs) eleven. I I do have something more to add, and that is the glorious thing uh, that is three eleven day. It's on yes. the 11th of March. Uh-huh. All right. Now, this is this has become a big-time celebration that the band kind of does every other year. And they've... St- <laughs> <laughs> it's not annual. Well, once a year is a bit too much, 311. Even 311. That's biannual, yeah? Like, <laughs> no, no, no. It's, no, it's it, biannual six months. Let me see. I don't know. Whatever. Um, biannual is but- twice a year. Look, and uh, bi- biennial. biennial. It's biennial. biennial. I'll take yes, you. I'll take biennial you through three eleven celebration. I'll take you through the a bit of the history of the day known as three eleven day now, because the thing with three eleven day is these guys put on a big concert. Three eleven stage a big concert every eleventh of March. Every second eleventh. Well, of March. yeah, you're right. Not every every other. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so it started in 2000 and they played a, a huge concert of 47 songs. And then that became a bit of a thing where every year they tried to top that. So, 2002, the set list was expanded to 59 songs. Oh God, you got, yeah. In 2004, they played 68 songs. Now, in 2006... Oh, that was so close! In, wait, it gets more tragic, huh. Dave. I got some bad news for you. In 2004, possibly uh, 2006, sorry, possibly the saddest 311 day of all. They played 65 songs, even though they were going for 69. They got shut down by the man oh, because of a man because of a midnight curfew. Oh my god! The oh. more I hear about this, the man, the less I like. But tell you what, they came back strong in 2012. <laughs> Wait, hang, I'm missing a lot of years. There. <laughs> was there That's really how a, much the man shut it, them down. Was there really a six-year gap, or did they just... Anyway, mm. in 2012, 311 took place at MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas, and it was two days long, so it went into... <laughs> Did they, many, did they play 420 songs? Probably? No, oh my god, <laughs> the dream 79. Um, yeah. So they, look, they're getting, they get. We have to see what's going to be. They skip. Well, you know, you know the, you know the maths, right? 420 minus 311 equals 69. That is true. Yeah, that's yeah. Makes ask you think, any scientist. Right? Make you think. Yeah, pretty fucking nice. Uh, also, nice. they have their own beer and their own drug cannabis vapor pen. Huh. <laughs> nice. And on nice. the, it's, it's really funny because on the Wikipedia they say like they've stopped being a band and they've started branching into lifestyle products. It's, it's a it's wow. beer and a drug pen. I don't know whether you can call that lifestyle <laughs> products anyway. Does it come on a wallet chain? You'd want to hope so. Yeah. <laughs> it's got it's just got a hook you can attach to it. All the fans already have wallet chains, yeah, so they're, you know, they're, it fits onto them. You wouldn't yeah. sell. You guys you know, know they have a cruise, right? Yeah. What, what? do you mean? The three eleven cruise. Is it on a boat? As in on a very big boat, yes. It's a thing that they do. What do you do on the 311 cruise? You fucking watch 311 and a bunch Ooh. of their mates play. <laughs> and get wanked, I guess. You get absolutely <laughs> fucking fuck-eyed. It's amazing. <laughs> Probably get food poisoning at some point. <laughs> you're on a cruise, you just kind of, that happens. Right. Well, DJ, I'm not a 311 fan, but I can see that there is a lot of perks to being one. <laughs> yeah, like if, you, if they're pretty generous if they're doing <laughs> every other year concerts of 79 songs and taking you on cruises. I reckon like, Guy Fieri probably caters the cruise. Mm. Arcade Fire has never taken me on a cruise. <laughs> Yeah, um, they also recently, uh, like, I mean, literally, uh, two days ago, put out a new album called Mosaic. So, well, yeah, 311 yep. is still together, still touring. Two days ago, huh? Yes, indeed. 
do yourselves a favor and look into uh, the Eric Andre show ongoing saga and investigate 311. That brings us to the end of yet another episode of Hottest 100s and Thousands and the last episode before we crack that sweet top 10. But before we do that, we got to pick our favorites and our least favorites from 15 to 311. <laughs> Yep. What are we thinking? <laughs> uh, would you like to start, Dave? <laughs> uh, for my favourite, purely for contextual purposes, um, I'm going to go with 1979 by the Smashing Pumpkins. And I'm sorry to do it, but my least favourite would probably have to go to Underworld, Born Slippy Nux. Well, that's my favourite was Born Slippy Nux, and my least favourite was 311. But that, the fact that this also had Kung Fu Sing... And that was only the third best song. Yeah, that's yeah, it, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I was very like, oh my God, is this going to be the episode where I pick a Smashing Pumpkin song as my favorite? Mm-hmm. No, it's not. But like... But it is a hell of a song. Yeah, exactly. Underworld for favorite and, oh God, I guess Scooby Snacks, but also Thriller. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I'm sad that I can't pick both um, Born Slippy and 1979 because like they could easily in any other episode not even a, not even a question Born Slippy maybe inches over just a little bit um, I've been banging it more recently but it was certainly really beautiful to revisit 1979 with fresh eyes and it's like as I said like I don't really want to choose between them. Um, and I'll probably give... Oh, I don't know. Fun-loving criminals. 311. Yes. <laughs> Where is the fun-loving criminals cruise, right? Yeah. Until exactly. they come up with the boat. Exactly. I want, the I want FLC on the 311. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Next time you hear from us, it's going to be non-canon, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the most exciting time of the season. Yeah, we yeah, bring yeah, our we are, own picks to the table. Yes, yeah. indeed. We and see you uh, for the remix. Yeah. yeah. On behalf of Mr. Andrew McDonald. Good night. Mr. Adam Muncher. Lager. And Mr. Nathan Harrison. Bye. My name is David James Young. Everything is good for you. <laughs>